0: Welcome back to Fast Performance. This is episode 10, so we've reached a bit of a milestone. Uh, And this episode is massive formation flying for the Queen and embracing failure as the true route to success. It's about 15 minutes probably, to be honest. But what I would say is when I finish this, if you want to go to the actual post on the website, At the very bottom, there are two videos uh, from YouTube that were done by my instructors. One is inside the cockpit and one is actually from the ground looking at the formation. So you can get some uh, kind of epic perspectives really of what we were going through and what we actually did on that day back in 2012. So massive formation flying for the Queen and embracing failure as the true route to success. In early 2012, I was flying with a good friend of mine when I made a mistake that very almost killed us both. I was an accomplished jet pilot, as was my buddy, but something happened that was totally unexpected and almost resulted in the loss of not one, but two of the RAF's very new and expensive aircraft and four highly experienced pilots. We were practicing for a display that would be conducted in front of the Queen for her Diamond Jubilee flypast. We were being led by an experienced display flight leader who had recently arrived at RAF Valley and was an ex-Red Arrow. His task, getting 27 Hawk pilots from the RAF and the Royal Navy across four squadrons to perform as a huge formation that would form the letters E 2 R. The practices were hard and the learning was very new. It was obvious that in order to be successful in front of the Queen, we were all going to have to embrace failure as a learning tool and many times over. It was going to be hard work and in essence, to create success in front of the Queen, this workup was going to have to suck. Most people, and especially pilots, concentrate too much on the what-ifs in life. What if I'm not good enough? What if I fail? What if they laugh at me? Pilots all fear failure. For them, failure is a constant as every day they are routinely being assessed by their peers. In fact, as most pilots know, to ultimately fail can result in their death or worse, that of one of their buddies. But pilots are still able to climb into the cockpit every day, even though they have a fear of failure. You see, failure comes in many different forms and for many different people. I know people that cannot and will not speak in front of a crowd, even if they know them really well. Public speaking is a human's number one fear. Our second biggest fear is death. A pilot knows how to deal with their fears and embraces failure as a learning opportunity. Most pilots recognise that only by highlighting their shortcomings can they ever improve on their performance. This is why we debrief every sortie for an hour or more. Like pilots, an excellent way of getting yourself to worry less about failure is to go out and fail. That's right, go and try new things and just allow yourself to fail. Often and until it becomes accepted by your mind as a normal thing to do. Quote, our greatest glory is not in never failing but in rising up every time we fail. Now that was by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Like the majority of pilots, high achievers and entrepreneurs, I am an expert at failing. Let me explain my road to a fast jet cockpit through my failures. I failed my A-levels, but that was just the start. In 1993, I failed at my attempt to join the RAF at the Officer and Aircrew Selection Centre, or OESC, at RAF Cranwell. And I was told never to apply again. I had to go to university to do an H&D and the University Air Squadron wouldn't accept me because I wasn't on a degree course. So I had to join the Officer Training Corps instead. Now I realised that having failed at my A-levels, I would have to work pretty hard to achieve academic success. So I went on to study for an engineering degree, which I eventually passed with honours. But then I failed my aptitude interview board for the Royal Navy. Lack of teamwork was cited as the reason. So for six months, I went and played rugby for Portsmouth Rugby Club and applied again. I passed that Admiralty interview board with the biggest difference between first and second attempts ever recorded. Then, once I settled at BRNC Dartmouth, I almost got back-coursed for pushing my team too hard on a field exercise. Oh, and for writing Fly Navy in chalk in huge letters on the parade ground. When the Sea Harrier was decommissioned in 2003, I had to transfer to the RAF in order to continue flying jets. I struggled through flying training, failing every test on the Hawk T1 the first time around, and it was only when I got to the Tornado GL4 that I really started to excel. Now, in 2015, and having learned from my patchy development, I'm one of the RF's most senior fast jet flying instructors, and all from dogged determination and from rising up every time I fell. Ask yourself, when you were six years old, did you request permission to jump around the house, dressed as Superman, or did you just do it? You see, we all need to give ourselves permission to go out and try new things and to hell with what others might think after all your dreams are yours and no one else's. In the film, Up in the Air, George Clooney's character, Ryan Bingham, asks a baby boomer that he has just fired the following question. How much did they pay you to give up on your dreams? That's pretty strong stuff. Quote, failures are infinitely more instructive than successes. That's by George Clooney. Now, Thomas Edison allegedly failed 10,000 times before he created the light bulb. So, you've always wanted to write a book, or run a B&B or to meditate in a Tibetan monastery. Maybe you just want to learn to skateboard, but you've just turned 40. All of these things are achievable. Maybe your first attempt at writing a book will be awful, but expect it to be, and it'll be less of a surprise for you when it is. Ultimately, you'll learn from your experience for when you write your second book, an obvious international bestseller. Remember, skateboarding legend Tony Hawk still skateboards and he's 47. Now, it's called self-confidence because it only involves yourself. In your mind, your self-belief is your strongest tool for your success. Other people's expectations and demands shouldn't impact on your ambitions. Now welcome constructive criticism as it may help you to improve but stay away from outright negativity. It's never too late to start doing what you've always wanted to do and yes the road to success does have many potholes and bends that you will need to negotiate. Quote I'm practicing my lines I just got off work and I've got an all-night film shoot tonight. I'm playing a goofy senator in a small independent film. I'm 81 now. And I didn't even begin acting until I was 76. I always wanted to do it since I was a kid, so I thought it was now or never. I love to just get one meaty part in a movie. And that's from a quote from the website Humans of New York. Now, remember, nobody cares about what you're doing as much as you think they do. And you will gain great power and understanding when you embrace this truth. Now, Tim Ferriss, entrepreneur and author of the 4-Hour Work Week, says... We all fear doing what is usually what we most need to do. Now, Richard Branson cites launching Virgin Cola in 2004 as one of his biggest failures, but also one of his biggest lessons. His quote here, I consider our cola venture to be one of the biggest mistakes we ever made, but I still wouldn't change a thing. Mistakes give you the chance to bounce back and make smarter choices the next time around. Now, what they've done is they challenged Coca-Cola by trying to be disruptive in an otherwise stable industry and had broken their own rules in doing so. You see, people liked Coca-Cola and they were willing to pay for it. Now what happened is Coca-Cola launched an all-out war and their larger budget crushed Virgin's smaller one, causing the newcomer to fail. But Branson learned from it. Innocent Drinks co-founder Richard Reed was working for Branson at the time and using the lessons learned, launched his product soon after Virgin's failed business venture and with great success. So back to my mistake. It was early into display practices for the Queen's Flypass and all of the pilots involved had gathered with their aircraft at RAF Valley. That day there was pressure to fly as the Queen's Flypass date was looming. However, the weather was going to be poor, but we all felt that we had a slight chance of getting the practice in. We got airborne and pressed south, but soon encountered the forecast low cloud over the sea. One by one, the three individual formations gradually descended towards the sea as the cloud forced them lower. Eventually, all 27 aircraft had reached their minimum allowed height of 250 feet. Now, mine was a rookie error and one that I hadn't experienced for many years. I was an instructor teaching advanced fast jet flying and I thought that I was above such elementary mistakes. We could all see the weather approaching, but to turn a formation of 27 aircraft around takes some time and forethought. And eventually the call was made. As the lead aircraft rolled to the right, everybody reacted. I was fourth guy on the right in echelon in my particular formation, meaning that I was four aircraft out from the leader, and I had one aircraft out from me. As the lead rolled, and each aircraft responded in turn, it started a ripple in the formation that flowed from the inside aircraft to the extremities. It was fast and getting more dynamic as it went. The formation wobbled dangerously. Suddenly it reached me. There was nowhere to go. And then my low-height warner sounded. Low height, low height. I was below 200 foot and descending rapidly. I immediately looked to the front. It was bad. I was facing a wall of sea. I had to break out, but I had another guy on my wing. I yanked back on the stick, breaking away from the formation. Very quickly, I realized that the guy on my right had done the same thing. I cannot publish how low he got, but I can say that we both learned a lesson that day and the taxpayer was saved a huge bill. In the debrief, I was open about my error in not breaking out sooner. I'd become too focused on staying in the formation no matter what, even if it meant flying into the sea. I also spoke about how we should all think critically about taking so many aircraft into weather that might not be conducive to large formation manoeuvring. It was an unusual formation makeup and hadn't been done in such numbers for quite a while. Luckily for us, we had a great flight leader whose capabilities far outshone our own. Now, over the course of the next few practices, many other mistakes were made by many other pilots. It was a tough time, but through perseverance and learning from our errors, it allowed us to all improve our formation flying. Our flight leader was able to build us into a professional and disciplined formation and one that could present 27 aircraft in close formation to Her Majesty the Queen. If you can learn to focus on embracing failure and use it as a learning opportunity and become persistent, in the achievement of your goals, then you will truly be on the path to high performance. Listen, thanks for listening to me. Um, As I said, there are a couple of videos that would would kind of really enhance all this kind of experience for you if you just want to nip to the website and have a look at them i've taken them off youtube um they belong to uh two of my good guys um pete smith and alex taylor uh, who made these videos for you they're only about five minutes long but it really goes into the kind of perspective that you wouldn't necessarily get unless you've ever been in a formation of 28 27 aircraft and there's one where we join up over chichester prior to reaching london and the actual form-up of what is three formations forming uh one formation forming the e that was us that was four squadron uh that then they had the two in the middle, which I believe was made up of naval uh fixed wing standards and a yos and a hundred squadron, and then the r, which is a quite complicated element there was formed up by. 208 squadron so you'll get to see what it's like to be inside that kind of formation and the dynamism within that really and how it looked from the ground to be honest it was a hard formation to keep together so being in that formation was really only for if I remember correctly about three or four minutes as soon as we got over Windsor Castle everyone eased out and everyone climbed up and then we reached some of the worst weather I've ever seen some of the densest cloud um, uh, that I've ever seen as well on the recovery back to um, I think it was Bryson We went back into so have a look. It's not a bad video, both of them. It's well worth having a a watch. And I just want to say again, 10th post. So really thanks for all your comments. Uh, I do like the comments and I try and answer every single one. Engagement on Twitter, Facebook, however you want to do it. And any ideas you want to give me, I will actively try and uh, write or, or do something about that for you. I've got some ideas come in recently about initial officer training. I'm gonna try and do, kind of explain a little bit about that. I've been speaking to some guys down at crownwell and Dartmouth and Sandhurst as well. Try and grab someone down at Limpson at some point um if I can. And uh yeah, please keep them all coming. Hey, thanks for listening. Get a podcast thing, speed me up, maximise your learning, minimize the time you take doing so. Tim Davies, fast Hit performance.